Crowley. This is hockey. And welcome to Totally Pro League, episode number eight. I'm John Lee, I'm your host, and welcoming this week as my special co-host, we've been through the fans, we've been through a coach, we've been through the player, now it's time to have a voice of the umpire, and Keely Dunn, welcome to Totally Pro League. Thank you, Mr. Lee. I am so stoked to be here, and I'm sure it's a shock to everybody that an umpire is <laughs> going to try to talk about hockey, but here we go. No, you've, you've kept your eye across all the games, and not from behind a whistle, so you're sort of a fan for the purposes of this show, although we will be picking your umpiring brain. I'm, I'm ready for it. I'm totally ready. Well, let's get across the games first of all, shall we? And we'll start with the women's game because it kicked off last Friday night. And, uh, well, it was actually Saturday morning for me, that particular game. But it was at Spooking Nook in Lancaster in the United States. And it was the US taking on Belgium. Got underway 7pm under the lights. It was a fantastic spectacle and a very entertaining game, Keely. Yeah, it was. It was a um, really nice matchup, and I think part of that comes from the fact that uh, there was a, uh, I think it was a three-game series. Back in November, Belgium went over to the Nook, and they played in the enclosed space because the weather was really bad at that point in, in uh, Pennsylvania, and they, they played a really nice close uh, series. It was 2-1 to Belgium in, in that, and then... Uh, I think all the, the the teams felt really comfortable meeting up with each other, and they knew what to expect, and and it ended up yielding some really good hockey. Oh, did I? Th- I thought it was a a really entertaining game, and of course it went to uh, one all at full time. It went to the the penalty shootout, or the what what term are we going to use? A, a shuttle shootout. Oh dear! <laughs> this podcast is going to end right now if you don't start using the right words for it. It's just a shootout. That's a all shootout. it is. Nobody's suffered any penalties. <laughs> Nobody's done anything wrong here. No, and umpire has not made a decision yet, so it's just a shootout. Uh, I do like the idea of us uh, of the shootout at Spooky Nook, um, and it did <laughs> <laughs> it did turn into something of a shootout too because. Uh, we went through nine shots each, and I must admit, it it was possibly the worst shootout I think I can I've seen. Well, I, I I've seen some really bad ones, so I I, I think you're <laughs> you're being a little unfair to some of the other uh, not so great executed uh, shootouts in the past. But um, I I think that the big one was that uh, we had some you know real drama in the in the last. Uh, couple, there was there was one where uh, the last shootout take, I think, was just rescued on the end line, and I can't remember. I, my notes don't have who it was, um, and the player rescued it right on the end line and just slipped it under Bing, like right under the eight seconds. And so, uh, was that Versavel? Yes, I think it was. Okay, that was the one. Yeah, and so super dramatic and and you know incredible goal. And yet we were lacking something on the pitch. What was that, John? Communication, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> I think we were lacking a clock that we could see to know oh, exactly yes. if the eight seconds had expired. So, and look, that that's a so re- tough. 
That's a recurring theme too. I mean, the most disappointing thing about that lack of a clock is it's not the first time that it's been brought up. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the thing that really bothers me about it is that I have every confidence that that was the right decision. When it went to review that uh, Michelle Joubert is there in the booth and she's got all the tools she needs to make the correct decision. But the lack of transparency, we can't prove it. And so I was getting messages on social media like, hey, I don't think that was right. And I had to go back and say, I can't prove it to you, but I'm I'm sure it was. And we need to not put our umpires in that position. Oh, absolutely. And that's exactly what the technology is there for, isn't it? Exactly. To to make sure that that situation doesn't happen at all. Um, The United States ended ended up uh, taking the points at the shootout 5-4 in the end and uh, took the bonus point from that particular game. Uh, Player of the game was the young American goalkeeper whose um, name just escapes me at the moment because I can't read a name on the the score sheet. Kelsey Bing. Kelsey Bing, that's it. Um, Really good at doing the stuff goalkeepers should do. Yeah, absolutely. All the goalkeepers that would come out of the top NCAA programs, they're going to be extremely well drilled. Their foundation is going to be fantastic. And and she's a very athletic goalkeeper as well. She's very quick, very very uh, athletic in her reflexes. So uh, it was really nice to see her perform and and have a great game. Okay, we're going to stay with the women. And uh, the next game on the list is Argentina taking on China. This game was played at the wonderfully named Estadio Mundialista in Rosario. Got underway at 3.30 local time there which is very early in the morning for me, but a uh, good time for you, Keely. And, uh, oh, it was um, wonderful. Look, um, well, intriguing game. I mean, Argentina are a very good side, but you know what? China aren't far from being away, that far away from them. Yeah, absolutely. It was a bit of a stronger lineup that they had in this game as opposed to when they met uh, the other week in Changzhou. Yeah. Pardon me. Um, in that um, uh, Rebecca was back in the lineup, but Marino, I guess, is carrying an injury. She's uh, got an IT band inflammation, so she was out again. Florence Habif was out uh, with an injury, but it was a it was a fairly strong lineup. Granada was back in, and um, they made the interesting move of putting Lucchetti up on the forward line, which I was really interested to see how she was going to do. She's an amazing defender, extremely gritty, just and very smart, always in the right position. And she did some really great things up on forward, so it was fun to watch. It's um, it's an interesting call for a coach to make, isn't it? Uh, you do like to maybe they've seen something in training in her and um, we'll give it a crack at some time. I mean, where... Who, who and when and where and why would you do you make that decision to play her then and there, if you know what I mean? Um, yeah, well, I, I read an interview that, um, or an article that was in a, an Argentinian paper, and Rutegi was talking about how he is going to move people around and make sure that he's giving players an opportunity to show what, whether they're in the, in the best positions. And there will be more experimentation throughout the, the pro league process as they're leading into, they're really focusing on Lima and that's the Pan Am Games, which is their direct qualifying line to the Olympics in Tokyo. So they've had a couple missteps at the last couple of Pan Am Games and they are not going to let it happen again. They have yeah. laid out the, 
the law that they are going to win that competition. And so this is really, the, they're looking at this as their preparation for uh, Pan Am Games. That's August coming up this year. Yeah. And so, yeah, he's he is going to be doing some experimentation, which is, is going to be fun to see how how everybody responds to that. And it'll also be uh, uh, August is after the end of the uh, the pro league, is of course. Um, they may very well have qualified. You know, even if they they finish that top four position, that doesn't qualify them to go to the Olympics. So, uh, you know, probably their, their their easiest route is through Pan Am, and that's the one they should be taking. Yeah, and that's why their focus is so much on it. Well, the other side of this game was China, who I've been bullish on for a little while, but they just, um, they're just waiting to happen, I think. And it's yep. just going to be time before it all clicks in. Uh, I mentioned to you when we we're talking pregame that there's a, a naivety about them and the other team that we featured tonight, the United States, that they just, there's just that little thing missing from them that probably comes from hard week in, week out, competition that they're lacking. Yeah, I think a lot of it's also decision making. So as we were talking about before, it's uh, I, I listened to the interview that Giles Bonet had given on the Studio Hockey podcast last week, and, yep. and he really pointed out that because the Chinese come through their very quite regimented system, what they really need is to get out of that bubble, to get out playing with other people, learn different styles of hockey, and then their decision making, their hockey sense is going to get evolved, and and that's what they've they've been missing so far. And and you see the results in these games where they just don't quite respond to variables in, in, as quickly as you'd want. Now the last game, well, the last of the women's game for the weekend was uh, played. Oh, the 31st at 1800 at, I think, what is the best named sports ground in, in hockey, uh, Spooky Nook. Or is it Spooky Nook? Spooky Nook? I, I think it's the Spooky Nook, but it's nope. funnier if you say it's Spooky Nook. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll go with Spooky Nook, um, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Lovely part of the world. Uh, Great Britain taking on the United States. And this was a game I thought that the US girls could really press Great Britain in didn't turn out their what favour three one the final score there but the the American girls scored first and um, they did have a game that took it up to the Americans a couple of things didn't go their way yeah I think that's part of it but I, I, my take on the game was that uh, the U S just had way too many passengers in that game and as soon as GB got their teeth in and Owsley and Martin really found their stride out there on on the right-hand side uh, getting their circle penetrations it was just it was just lights out and the US just looked like you know deer caught in headlights and it was much more reactionary again and so i i think that was a good lesson for them they they went in thinking that uh it would be a maybe that they were going to match up a little more strongly and then GB just at the end of the second quarter said I think it's time for us to play now and really took the game to them, I thought. Oh, yeah, and, and I was hoping this might be reflected in the statistics from the game, Keely. Um, and I'm sure the 209 shots on target that Great Britain had in the first quarter had a lot to do with the uh, the victory. Uh, you get mistakes like that and you just can't trust anything else on that bit of paper, can you, unfortunately? <laughs> 
It's not often I look for statistics because when I'm watching the games, I'm usually watching from an umpire's perspective. So I'm I'm not really bothered about who has circle penetrations or how many shots or anything like that. I'm busy taking notes on, you know, different things. But when I was paying, it, when I was looking at the at the statistics, I thought, man, this is just a waste of time. I I have no idea if this is real or not. I I took screenshots of everything and I'm I've got them in front of me, but is it real? I'm not sure. Yeah, and it must be said at times hockey would be a hard uh, a game to statisticalize, if I can use that phrase. Staticize? I don't yeah, know. that is staticize. <laughs> Let's go with it. <laughs> Sounds closer to fantasize, which is a <laughs> I like that. We'll go with staticize. <laughs> which is kind of reflected in what we saw with the statistics. Yeah, yeah there's so <laughs> many things. There's so many. You would need a big statistical team, and there's a lot of subjectivity involved. But you know, other sports have done it, and I think we yeah. could probably do it a lot better. Okay, the last game that we've got to look at at the weekend is uh, the men's game that was played. Uh, at, well, at the same time, same place at least, Estadio Mundelista in Rosario, and it was the Argentinian men this time taking on Spain. It was at uh, 6 p.m. local time, and well, I, I was really looking forward to uh, to watching this game, and it was almost a game of two halves, wasn't it? Uh, the Spanish led 2-0 at half time, but then. As is wanted, the Spanish, they turn off for a little while and it cost them because they ended up losing 3-2. Yeah, it was it was really bizarre. The, for the first two halves, I really thought that the Spanish were sitting back and letting the Argentinians have a lot of ball possession and whether that's reflected in the statistics, I don't think so. But it sure <laughs> felt that way. But then the Spanish would pounce and... You know, off they'd go, and they kind of picked apart the Argentinian defense at will in that first half, and yep. maybe that's reflected in some of the choices that they had in the personnel. But that really did shift in the second half, and suddenly things really tightened up. And yeah, the Spanish really took their foot off the gas. Oh, look, and and they were leading two two nil with thirty seconds to go in the third quarter, and they had had uh, Argentina. Under the pump, big time. They'd missed a couple of goals that another day would have gone in. They could have easily have been three or four up by that stage. And, uh, you know, give away a penalty corner right on three-quarter time. Oh, sorry, it was a field goal. But um, right on that three-quarter time buzzer, they get one back, and that just gave them the fuel going into that third quarter. And they just had a player sent off too, so they'd played that previous two minutes before they scored a goal with 10 men at a time when Spain just couldn't get the goal. Yep, that's that's absolutely true. And then you see in the in the fourth quarter, Toscani scored that beautiful one-time flick in, yep. into the roof. It was just, you know, just beautiful execution. But the goals weren't, they were just well-constructed, well-executed goals. They weren't you know, incredible, like, flukes. So I think the Spanish really need to kind of take a look at how they're going to lock down things a little bit better at the end of uh, the end of games. Which reminded me of the first goal the Spanish scored, which was essentially a, a pass into that um, chaos zone in front of goals yep. there. But it, it came off an Argentinian stick, and I was looking at it in, in replay and thinking, that guy is totally wrongly body-positioned to try and intercept that ball. The only 
unless he stops it dead on his stick, the only place that ball's likely to go is in the goals. Uh, it was yeah, yeah, Ortiz was a little off on that for sure. It wasn't his best game. You know, he, he ended up, uh, you know, he got a talking to in the first quarter and then he ended up taking, uh, that, that green card, uh, in, mm. in, uh, I think it was the third quarter, uh, again for dissent. <laughs> he went back <laughs> at Yakub and, and that got dealt with and, but then again, that turned the corner. It was like, oh, spark lit, let's go, and off Argentina went. So, but yeah, Ortiz is is usually a little bit stronger and more part of the attack. But I I thought that, um, I thought that the other players really picked up the the slack for him. Oh yeah, look, and it was a very entertaining game, and the sort of game we like to see when Argentina's take on Spain. I mean, it, that that's what we expect from that sort of contest. Yeah, and you you had a question about uh, the last goal, didn't oh, you? Oh, yeah, I I did indeed. I was gonna we'll bring it up now. Um, now the, the the last goal was scored off a stroke. Uh, the Argentinian player was taking a shot. The Spanish player came in to try and you know tackle, and mm-hmm. um, obviously stuffed it up because the umpire blew a, a penalty stroke. Now. I, I wouldn't argue whether that was the correct decision or not. The umpire's there on the ground and rah rah. But in that in that situation, uh, the the player who's coming in and is obviously trying to shot the, stop the shot has a legitimate right to attempt to tackle. Now, if if he f- finally mucks it up, does that mean it's a penalty stroke, or is it that he has to? Um, be deliberate about his offending to make it a a penalty stroke well okay here's the way that we we look at it is that yeah a player can attempt a tackle from that position so the defender was coming in from behind and and making the attempt and we, we call that the high risk high reward so if he can make that tackle cleanly then you know, off we go. But if they mess up, we have to impute that there's an intention that I'm going to stop you no matter what and uh, to heck with the consequences. So that's where we end up having to put that intentionality into the frame because you got to know that when you're trying to tackle from behind, the chances of you doing it properly are way, way lower than if you are tackling from in front with a nice low stick position and all that sort of thing. So that's where it comes from. And I think the lack of any kind of reaction from the Spanish players. I mean, maybe if Cortez was in net, he would have given a little stick, but (laughs) he wasn't. It was Garnon and... And so, or Garin, sorry, and he, there was absolutely not even a peep because everybody knew that that was, you know, the correct call. And it was a huge call. It was the go-ahead goal. So you would yeah. think that if there was an issue, it would have been taken, and it wasn't. So, from uh, another perspective, if if you're if he had been in front of the player that was taking the shot and trying to make a tackle. And given away a stick obstruction, would there would it still be a penalty corner, or would it still be a penalty I, I think stroke, it, or would the umpire take nah. into consideration that actually that's a that is actually a real legitimate attempt to tackle because you're in front of the player, blah blah. Absolutely, absolutely. The okay. body position of the defender, if they're in front and they're low and all that kind of thing, and they just happen to mess up, then 
absolutely, that would go to a penalty corner, and that that would be it, and there would be no questions about that call either. Okay. I'm just storing up the things I need to remind the young kids that come along and up on my games. <laughs> just put them in the vault there, Keely. Okay. Yep. Let's move on now and check the goal scorers just very quickly. Um, first up for the men, uh, Pal Kamada is leading that tally with five goals and a great setup too in that Spain Argentina game for the, the second, um, Spanish goal today. Uh, Right in the perfect yeah, spot. Yeah, Gonzalez were on fire in that first half for sure. Yeah, he, that was fantastic effort from him. Even though he doesn't get another goal on the on the sheet, we'll give you a an assist if we have that statistic available to us. Um, what That's that a means, very American thing that you just did yeah, there. Yeah, it was. <laughs> we'll get on to American commentators in a minute. Um, 121 goals scored across the 22 games on the men's side of the competition, an average of 5.5, which is steady from last week. 71% of those goals coming from the field. On the ladies' side of things, um, Olivia Merry still out in front. She scored eight goals for New Zealand. Uh, then there's a whole host of players on three goals. Uh, Savannah Fitzpatrick from America. Uh, Daniela Grieger from the US. She's up there. She's on three goals. Um, Gu Bing Feng from China and uh, Frederick Matla from Netherlands and a few more as well. We go down. There's a lot of players on one or two goals. The girls are going um, at an average of 3.25 goals a game from there. 28 games played, a total of 91 goals, and about 56% are coming from the field as opposed to strokes or corners. Um, that's just the update for the goal scorers, folks. Keely, the interesting bit, though, is the tables as they stand at the moment. On the women's side of things, the Netherlands are still at top on 80%. Argentina are in second place at the moment, which is where they were last time around as well. They're on 79.2% from their eight games. Australia have slipped up a game. Uh, they didn't play, but Belgium did. Even though Belgium got points, it meant their percentage went down. So Australia's on 58.3% with a better goal difference than Belgium, who's on 58.3%. Uh, New Zealand fifth, Germany sixth, China and Great Britain swapped places from last week, Great Britain in seventh. And poor old United States in last position there, although they did pick up some points from the weekend, so they'll be happy about that. On the men's side of things, uh, Australia on top there at 76%. Belgium second place, just below them, 75%. Great Britain in third place on 66.7%. Uh, Germany and Argentina have swapped places from last week. Argentina fourth, Germany fifth. Then we come to the Netherlands and Spain in seventh, sixth and seventh place respectively. They've swapped around as well. And New Zealand are sitting at the bottom in eighth position. Now, I did a, I, I don't know if it's interesting or not, perhaps it will be. I, I rank, <laughs> I'll tell you. I rank the teams like, by you know. points. And, and did it on a good old fashioned points basis, regardless of how many games team, teams had played. For the women, Argentina come out on top at the moment, they're on 19 points, but they've played 8 games. They're still going at 79% though. Uh, Australia come in in second place on 14 points. But they've played eight games, the same as Argentina. They're only going at 58%. Uh, as an example, Great Britain, who are on 
in bottom place on uh, sorry second bottom they're on 41.7% but they've only played four games and have managed to score four points uh, Germany five points uh, from four games so it's very interesting when you look at it on, on purely a points basis because at the end of the day when they get to the last game of the, of, of the rounds and everybody's done and dusted, the percentage goes out the window. It means nothing, even though we're ranking them well, by percentage now. And I'm not the smartest person with math, but I'm pretty sure that that's how percentages work. The more data you stuff into the percentage... The, the less it moves and the less it means anything. So it's it's a really weird way to look at things, and I'm I'm still it, it it's it just doesn't sit right with me. I just kind of don't get it. But I know it's the only way that you can really gauge the relative performances. But I, I think the more important thing about these standings is looking at the teams that are going to have massive gaps in their games and. I mean, Belgium going into the U.S. game had sat for five weeks yeah, yeah. and had 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 nothing. And luckily, you know, um, Neil Tyson was was giving an interview to the FIH and he said, "Well, I, I sent them back to their clubs and back home with their families and that sort of thing." But we because five weeks is too long for me to keep them centralized, and I have to keep in mind the schedule we have coming up, which is a lot more condensed. Obviously, June is on everybody's calendar and going to be extremely busy for everybody. But it's—he he said it was—it was a restart. It was an absolute restart. Australia now is going to sit for how long and uh, four not weeks. play? So yeah, yeah. So these are the things that I'm—I'm I'm interested in seeing how it affects how the teams start performing, whether it gives teams a chance to reboot and maybe repair a few of the niggling injuries. Like Argentina women particularly could really benefit from having a little bit of rest because I mean Rebecca's now uh, running around with strapping on her leg and you know they've they've had one of the more intense schedules obviously because they've played the the full eight games. I know Australia's got a few niggles so th- they they need a break and is this going to be the right time and then the other teams are going to start picking up some momentum. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I think. Um for the Australian girls, it, it's come at a, a reasonably good time, and I think for the the idea of their extended squad. I mean, now they're they're back in Perth training here, and mm-hmm. uh, our club competition got underway last weekend. The, the the top grades, so there will be the opportunity for the girls who don't need a rest to continue playing a really high level of of hockey to keep in that that touch, so to speak. Um, you know, the European teams are coming to the end of their season. Um, even though the, the competition is heavily back-ended towards Europe in June, you know, how much hockey are they going to be playing between the end of their season and when when they're really needed by their national teams? It could be a chance for some of these southern travelling teams especially to uh, pinch points. Uh, yeah. It's, it's now the timing of the Australian league is that is this this the, the same traditional time that you have your top league, and it just happened to fit into the schedule, or was that oh, no, part no, of the? No, this is when our the, I'm talking the local competition. So we have yes, yeah, yeah, the AOS base in Perth. So all of those players through the those development squads and the Australian team are all in Perth, and 
they're all assigned clubs, so there is the opportunity right. for all of those players to be playing in a very strong women's league and men's right. league as well. But like that, then I'm right. not sure what they're doing at the moment. So, you know, it, it's it's really hard to figure out what is the best for the players in the sense of how the fixturing should work. You know, it, yes, you. It's a hard trawl for the travel, but you, you're only playing one game or one or two games, but then you get to Europe at the end of the season and there's, you know, you could be playing three games in five or six days and you're travelling and it, it's going to be interesting to see what effect that has on the welfare of the players. Yeah, and when you hear the coaches talking about back-to-back games and things like that, I mean, they're absolutely right. that The players are accustomed to having to play back-to-back games. When they're in a tournament setting, the variable that throws that out the window is the fact that they flew for uh, 26 hours to get to uh, the destination, you know, four days before, and then they play the back-to-back games and then go home or or. You know, it's it's usually the home team that's playing the back-to-back, obviously, yeah. but but just all, all the travel that they're doing in between this—that's the thing. That's what nobody really knows how that's going to affect the players. So I'll be interested to see if some of the players start speaking out about how this is working out for them. You're you're hearing the grumbles. We've been talking about it. You guys have been talking about it on uh, TRS and here on TPL and. I think <laughs> I think we're going to start hearing some more because it's a it, it's really going to be tough on the the physicality of those players. And I think the the stop start nature of the way that it's all fixtured doesn't help. I think if you're playing every weekend and you're travelling in between, much like a professional sports team does in our country all the time, we travel is just a natural part of what we do in sport and. Uh, but when you break that up and it doesn't become a routine, that's when it becomes hard when you swap chopping and changing and trying to fit in all over the place. If you just got right between date X and date Y, I'm going to be playing and travelling. It's it's easier to organise things and get in a routine as a player. Yeah, and the rehab and preparation, all those things, that's mm. that's going to be really negatively impacted. What, what equipment do you have available? Do you have the right personnel? All that sort of thing. Well, we've seen Argentina taking squads of less than the allowable number of players, and I'm sure that's as much to do with money as anything else. But um, they're the, the t- decisions that national associations are going to have to take because they're carrying the bundle. Absolutely. Who car- who who <laughs> makes sure doctors are available just quietly? I haven't thought of that before, but where where does the medical side of things fall? Do you know? Well, at, at an FH tournament, there is an FH doctor that is appointed uh, there who is charged with looking after the welfare of not only all the players on a, you know, sort of big picture aspect, but also the technical officials, the umpires, Everything they're they're there. They have prescription responsibilities, the whole thing. So they're they have people to consult with, but the teams tend to have their own, you know, their their own day to day personnel, their their own physios and such. And then the doctor is there for more of the more serious aspects. If somebody has to go to the hospital, that sort of thing. So there is somebody there at an FIH tournament. I don't know if they have somebody in place at the Pro League matches, to be totally honest. I haven't seen anything about 
because uh, we don't have the traditional appointment sheets where you you get the appointments for the entire tournament that list the doctors, yeah. the tournament directors, the judges that will be available for the entire competition. So I don't know what the answer is to that. Well, we won't press you any further then because that won't do us any good. Thanks. <laughs> well, what we will do though is play a bit of music where if we were making money out of this, a commercial break would have gone. <laughs> Listening to Totally Pro League. My name's John Lee. I'm here with Keely Dunn, FA Chumpires. Uh, she's been across the Pro League. I hope you have been as well with us here at Totally Pro League. Now, Keely, did I mention before the day and night games at Spooky Nook and how much better mm. it looked? And I think that's one of the really big things the FIH has to look at in further programming of this uh, tournament next year and beyond. Night games, They're, it's just the way to go for television. I I think you're right. And, you know, you and I talked about this a little bit beforehand, and I struggled when I watched the Netherlands-Germany game that was a night game. Uh, the atmosphere is fantastic, but it was a little bit dark, and I don't think for a second that it was a faulting of, of a fault of the lighting. They've got the standard... Uh, met with the lighting but it really didn't come across on the feed as well as it needed to and maybe that's a production adjustment that they can look at making but yeah the day games some of them have not been good that said uh, the matches that have been you know in the hot sun in Argentina have looked fantastic they've been great Uh, some some of the games in, in Australia have looked pretty good too so uh, it's <laughs> it's it's tricky. It's a tricky proposition. I think what really makes the games look good is stands full of people. That makes oh, everything look better. It does. And I was really impressed by the bit of YMCA that was going on on Friday night during the US uh, Belgium game. The, the, the crowd. Oh, that was dance remix. The, oh yeah, <laughs> taking me the back. Dance that one. remix of YMCA. Yeah, that's oh. that's a year ten school social if ever I was saying this. <laughs> um, but anyway. <laughs> Look, what are, what are your impressions of the of the FIH Pro League? How have you found the competition? You know, at the outset, I was like everybody else, extremely excited. Uh, the notion of being able to watch hockey on a weekly basis was just so exciting for me because uh, if we've met, you know that I'm a massive hockey nerd, so I watch every <laughs> game I can possibly get my eyeballs on. And I thought, awesome. I'm kind of tired now. <laughs> I'm just trying to keep up with all of the different timings. And, for example, this weekend, the matches that happened for me on uh, Sunday afternoon, they, they changed all the times. All of the three matches changed times. And the women's match in Argentina swapped with the men's game. And, yeah, whoa, whoa, whoa. If, if you look on, on the published hang, calendar. Hang on, hang on. I've got all this written down to get onto later in the program. Is that all wrong? <laughs> oh, no, all that research gone down the tube, Keely. That's what you're telling me. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, damn it. But Why? Putting even that aside... <laughs> 
but that aside, it's it's been a really it's a really tough slog to keep up to. And this is my full time gig. I can't imagine the casual fan who's trying to just you know catch a game and they don't know when it's going to be broadcast and whether it's going to be shown and you're going to get onto that. So I should shut up. No, well, one of the problems we had in Australia was the idea that we were sold it was on one broadcaster and it was but if we really wanted it to see all of the games we had to pay extra to a subsidiary of the same broadcaster um it, it all seemed like a bit of a con to me but um and and there's other people that are having problems with their coverage as well so when uh, yeah, when, when yeah, I've, we I've really struggled over here. I thought at the outset when the Bleacher Report live announcement was made, I was like, yes, I've got one place I can go to. It's going to be available to me. I, it's, it's legitimate, <laughs> everything. And yeah. I paid my money the day that it was announced. I'm, here's my $25, or I think it cost me $30 Canadian. And, Take my money, please. And I am so happy to pay for watching hockey. I, yep. I literally, I just open up my wallet, take it all. But what's happened is that I think maybe a third of the matches, I, I started losing count because I got tired of trying to keep track of all the games that just didn't show up. So it would be there on the broadcast. Yes, this game's starting at 3 p.m. And then suddenly it would just give this technical network error and I think for the first 10 or 20 games um, wow. I would pop over to FIH Live and I would still be geo-blocked yep. so I'm not saying that I used a VPN to get around that so that I could watch those first games but maybe I did and, <laughs> and then later on it seemed like they caught on and some of those matches got uh, un-geo-blocked, got unblocked uh, for my region, but it's not consistent, and I don't know. So some matches in, I had a lot of trouble trouble with the matches in Australia and New Zealand. They okay. weren't showing up at all. But <laughs> sometimes it would be a match in China, suddenly I wouldn't be able to get it, and I'd, it's just head scratching, and it shouldn't be so much work. We just want to watch and love our hockey. Give it to us. I I, I think an int- really important point you make is the idea that we are prepared to pay. Cr- 25 bucks is a month is what it costs here to get KO to watch the Pro League. If all you want to do is watch Pro League, that's how much it costs you. And um, I think that's, for the quality of the sport you are getting, that's a, a really cheap price. Now, in other countries, the economics of it will work out differently and, and more or less however it works. But it still appears to be quite a cheaply priced sport in that respect. Oh, yeah. My 30 Canadian dollars was for, purportedly, 144 Pro League matches. Right. I mean, that's a great deal. So I kind of feel like a jerk for even complaining to Bleacher Report Live, except for the fact that, hey, you promised me these games. And they're also broadcasting in 1080p, which is... Again, maybe a minor detail for some people, but when you're watching for umpires, being able to actually see on a big screen is massive. And when it's, you know, 720 on FIH Live, it, the quality is really much, much inferior. Hey, um, I've got to ask you, because you are FIH umpires, how's the umpiring yes. going? 
I think it has been, by and large, really, really good. I've yeah. been happy to see some of the performances, and you know, it, it really calls to mind. I was re- anticipating and just you know, really geared up for that Argentina-Spain game because we knew it was going to be a barn burner and I wanted to see who they were going to point to the game and it was Ben Gunchen, if I say his name properly, sorry buddy, from Germany and Jakub Mezlik from uh, the Czech yeah. uh, Republic. And so that was a very deliberate appointment and Ben is technically just so excellent for me just one of the most accurate umpires in the world. Jakub is a master of management, and he's got that <laughs> smile, and he's got that, but he can glare at you at the same time while he's smiling, and it was just, it, that's a genius combination to put on a match that could have been incendiary and just ended up being a fantastic match, and that's what you want to see, and I think by the end of the game, nobody was wondering, you know, they, they weren't looking at Ben and Jakub, because they did such a great job. So there have been lots of games like that that I think have been really well appointed and the umpires have really shown up and performed. There have been some issues, though, and some of it, again, as always, has been on uh, video review and some head-scratching decisions for me that I was surprised at the result that they're getting at. And it's again we're we're trying to learn in general where the standards are going to be placed on things like aerials and third party obstructions on penalty corners and things like that so it's it's a learning process for them too the same way that the teams participating in the pro league are trying out squad members this is the tryout period for all those umpires who want to go to Tokyo so they're literally going to the FIH umpiring committee is going to take from this pro league panel, the umpires that they're going to take to Tokyo. So all of these people on these matches know that they are under the microscope. This is when they got to show and prove because the appointments for Tokyo will be made this summer. I must admit, Jakob's uh, green card that he flashed there uh, for dissent. There, were, there was something about the way he did that that was just like, no, that's a guy that's in control of what's going on at the moment. Yeah, and you know, he set that up because he talked to Ortiz in the first quarter, and it was a very, very um, controlled and very intentional moment that I think was, you know, Ortiz could have done a little better in taking more account that, yeah, this is where the line's going to be drawn, so I'm not going to step over it, but... And there's no umpire in the world that want, especially at that level, who wants to be giving cards for dissent. It's awful because it's not an offense against the other team. It's an offense against the integrity of the game and against the umpire. But you have to deal with it sometimes. So luckily it came, you know, early enough. I, I think it was the third quarter, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It didn't so affect the game tremendously. Exactly. It it didn't and you don't want it to, but you no. you still have to send the message and you have to assert that control and and just let everybody know that this is not how things are going to be played and then the players went out and they did their jobs for the rest of the game. And in, so, in some ways sometimes mission accomplished. You, sometimes you need that as a player. You need the umpire to say, <laughs> "Hang on a sec, sunshine." <laughs> <laughs> what what did I just tell you? Now just go and have a little yeah. rest and think about it, okay? And ninety percent of the time the player comes out and it's all good. 
occasionally the yellow card comes out, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think really good umpires all feel very much like they know that this isn't about them. They don't take this personally. And I know when I'm out there, I like players who push a little bit. I like the ones that try the tackles that are a little bit risky, who give me a little bit of that communication, that sort of thing, because I know that they're trying to find the line. It's my job to respond appropriately and say, that's where it is, and give them that so that then they're free to not have to guess for the rest of the game. Then they don't have to pay attention to me. So if I have a couple teams that aren't really pushing that line, it, it isn't... I, I don't think you get the right mix of competitiveness in the game. And so at those pro league levels, all these umpires really understand that it's not about them. It's about getting the right temperamental line drawn, you know, out there and getting the teams to understand that they will enforce it. And once that's there, off they'll go. <laughs> Totally Pro League. John Lee here, your coast, your host, my co-host is Keely Dunn. <laughs> it's late here, Keely. Look, it's early in the morning for you. I appreciate that, and you waking up in time to get this podcast recorded. Oh, oh 10 a.m. was such a struggle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 14 hours between you and I. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's a late night here in Perth, and you're in Calgary. I am indeed. We are now into our third winter, so things are going very well. Is it still it's, April Fool's Day there? No. <laughs> okay, it is for another 15 minutes, but I already got sauced by Matt Lee last night, so I don't want to talk about April Fool's anymore. Uh, don't you love the idea of the black and white turf? Um. <laughs> <laughs> he totally got me. I'm just... You're not, uh, the, you're not the Lone Ranger, mate. I'll tell you, you're not the Lone Ranger there. <laughs> um, I'm still using the excuse it was March 31st for me. <laughs> it's the Ides of March, isn't it? The 31st? Uh, maybe. Anyway, that might be. <laughs> yeah, that's a bit too English history for me. Um, let's get on to some goal scoring. You've got something you'd like to say about goal scoring. Yeah, I just kind of wanted to go back to the uh, goal scoring table for the women particularly because, um, I mean, everybody's noticed how prolific Olivia Mary's been so far this season. And I don't think anybody's really talked about why that I've seen. And, I mean, I've, I've been watching Mary play for a number of years now. And that whole black stick squad has gone through a really interesting transition with losing Anita McLaren and Crystal Ferguson and the Harrison sisters who really were the core of their attack. And now you've got Mary took her a couple years to kind of really round into form. But what I've seen from her is that she is in incredible shape this year. She came into this competition absolutely prepared. So in the past, you know, she'd be diving for that ball crossing the circle, but she'd be just a little bit too late. This year, she is right on top of things, and with that fitness, she's able to dictate and dominate, and it's really been nice to see for a player that's obviously worked so incredibly hard to get to where she is, and now she's leading the world in scoring, and it's 
yeah, it's really exciting to see. And she is a natural striker. I don't think you could, you'd want to think about playing her anywhere else on the field, but near the goal. Um, yeah. And and there's a there's a, a lack of those kind of scores in yeah. the women's game. You would argue. I I think. I, I've been looking out, uh, because I've been able to watch so many top games in the last couple of months, I've been looking out to see where those those players are going to come from. And I think um, Mackenzie Alessi from the U.S. is going to round into one of those players. She's only 17 years old. Yeah. Um, and she's, she set that high school goal-scoring record with 351 goals in her high school career in the U.S., and she's she's already scored a couple um in she's only got eight caps and she's already scored three goals i mean that's incredible yeah. right um there's a young belgian player that i think is going to end up being one of those uh natural strikers and that's uh Ballengine, if i'm going to say that right she set up the goal uh that uh garnier scored against the us the mm. other night yeah and it was an incredible little pickup in the circle, and she she just picked it up on her verse, little 3D, curled it back towards Gurniers in front of the net, and boom, it was in. And I thought, whoa, that is great, great instinct, great skill. So I'm looking forward to seeing her round into being a good goal scorer. So and I'm, I'm hoping that when – sorry. No, they're sort of players that drag people to games of hockey too. Um, they're, they're integral yeah. to the, the success of the sport. And it's not – it's essentially something that you're born with. It, it's, those strikers at that elite level just have it, and you can't coach it. it, it it's just innate yeah. within them. Yeah, it's a secret sauce that. <laughs> yeah. Trust me, from all all my years of playing, I've I've looked for it. I certainly recognize that I never had it myself, as uh, and made sure that I stayed in the back of the field all the time, and let other people try their luck. Um, yeah, it's magical, and that is what drives us to watching sport, and that's what get, gets us passionate about watching. And and that's what's been fun for me watching these games is that you know I'm usually just analyzing umpiring, and and it's not the most passion-filled activity, but obviously <laughs> it's very rewarding for me. I really enjoy it, and and I do actually get passionate about umpiring, but it's not it, it's not often that I can go yes, what a card. But I can, I, I've been able to <laughs> I've been able to see more of that from goal scoring, and it and it's been nice to see that from the women's side in this game, and that probably gets back to my overall impressions about the pro league is that it has provided that stage for the women's game, and I'm really um, really gratified to that, and I'm I'm hoping that we're going to see more of that as we keep going along. Keely, if you want to hear someone cheering about a card being given, you have to stand next to Matt Allen at a local club hockey game because he's a man that cheers a card. Don't worry about that. (laughs) Oh, my gosh, that is so precious. I can't wait. Somebody please record this and put it on Instagram for me. (laughs) No, seriously, we'll get... Yeah. Um, It's no wonder that Matt... Matt's playing for a club represented by a bird because feathers do get ruffled at times. <laughs> oh, so you're saying by cheering, it's not really cheering. Oh, okay, I get it now. <laughs> well, it's cheering, but in a large Premier League crowd sort of sense of cheering, where there's not actually a large crowd and just one young bloke yelling out stuff. <laughs> but now he's one of us. 
So that's all going to change. He's going to be a lot more circumspect, I think, with his comments. He's he's going to politely <laughs> applaud, or he'll just acknowledge with his nod of his head. Mm, unfortunately, that was the correct decision when it goes against uh, Frio. I've changed my mind. I'm not paying for the uh, TRS World 11 game when I win Lotto. I'm paying for you to come out here and watch Matt umpire. <laughs> <laughs> That's I'm in. I'm in. I'm sold. <laughs> now, I'm there for that. Let's get back to the reason for this podcast, which is the Pro League and the games coming up this weekend. And it looks like being a couple of really cracking games too. Uh, we, we start on Saturday, uh, Argentina taking on Great Britain, both the men and the women underway here. Now, can you confirm these times for me? Because I may be wrong apparently. Um, the men's game getting underway at 4pm local time, 1600, and the women getting underway at 1800? Or has that been changed? Maybe. <laughs> It could get changed in the next few days, John. I have no idea what's going to happen. It's like a box of chocolates. Oh, jeez. Don't tell me Forrest Gump's commentating the game. Oh, I'm, I, I have to keep my eye out all the time. I have... Uh, I've subscribed to the FIH calendars. I've subscribed to Ernst Bart's uh, B Hockey calendar. Yep. And then I go on the on and I look at the actual appointment sheets and I make sure it matches up with what I have in my calendar. There's time zones. It's just, it's chaos. It it takes me hours just to figure out when I'm going to be watching a game and when I'm going to get the appointment sheets up. So it's, oh, okay. it's, it's, a, it's a good little challenge. Well, but anyway, back to the games. Yeah, it'll be it'll be good to see the GB boys get back into action again. They've been sitting, yep. uh, not doing anything. They're on what three games total played? So I think since Perth was the last game, the game we went to was yep. the last time they played, and that's Jesus over a month. Yeah, um, and uh, it, once again they've had hockey, they've had ho- club hockey going on. I don't know how much they've been released to play, but they have had the ability to be playing a a reasonably high standard of competitive hockey. So maybe that will stand them in good stead. Yeah, I have to say I've been a little remiss. I I haven't really been keeping track of whether the players have been getting injected into their club games as well. But uh, I I suspect... (laughs) I expect not as much as as we'd want because otherwise, why did Sophie Bray retire? Um, just throwing that out there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we'll. S- <laughs> good, but yeah, good those, those should be those should be very very good games, and um, I think that we're going to see a stronger GB side yep. even yet again to what we saw in the U.S. But. When when they played that game yesterday, they had a good lineup and it I they showed a very different side than what we've seen in the the first few games that they had played. They looked a lot more composed. Getting Unsworth back in the middle is everything for them. She was outstanding tackling in the middle, just absolutely dominated. So between her, Owsley, Martin, yeah, they they had it nailed. So. I, I hope that they're going to be in that lineup and they're going to give Argentina a really good game. Well, if they were a racehorse, you'd say they had a sluggish start but a, a last up win and will be better for the run. Uh, Indeed. Yeah. Now, moving on to the Sunday, and uh, we've got the one game on the 7th, and that is Belgium versus China. 
that game's listed as starting at, at 3.30pm local time in Belgium. It's being played at the Royal Uckle Sports Centre in Brussels. Is that Uckle? Uh, uh, is that Eccles' Belgium cousin? That's an old goon show <laughs> joke for anybody that's missing that one. But um, the Royal Uckle Sports Centre. Hmm. I I can't help you out with that one because I game. never know if if it's a French pronunciation or or not. So, Ukel, <laughs> perhaps it could be. It could be Ukle. That's a very Ukle. Yeah, that's a good. One. Uh, it's a very important game though for the Belgium girls. You'd think. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I think. I think they would be, would have been really disappointed with the way that they dominated the the game against the U.S. and then ended up only coming out with that one point. And they're, I think they're going to look to be really strong against China. And I, I'm not sure how that that travel is going to work out with uh, China. I but hopefully again it's going to be a, a good fast matchup. And of course we, uh, we've got some midweek games coming up too. Uh, next week Belgium take on the US in Belgium. The Netherlands take on, I think that's CH. So that would be China. Or is that, well, I think it is China. Uh, and Belgium taking on Spain. And they're all happening next Wednesday or Thursday morning for me. But, um, so there's, there's plenty of hockey coming up in the next week. Then it's sort of a bit quiet. Then it, then it's really busy for a week and then it's a bit quiet and then there's a few games and it's it's all going to be a mystery until we get to June and we start getting into a big pile of games. Yeah, I, I'm i not sure if they were very intentional. I, I would hope so, that they looked at the Easter weekend and they looked at the EHL and said right then <laughs> there will be absolutely no pro league around there. Yep. So that that takes into account that sort of whole week. But what we have coming up in April and May, I think, is we start having all of the hockey series finals. So you would like to think that the attention of the hockey world in general is going to turn to these competitions because they're obviously going to be fantastic. They're vital. Um, I know as an umpire, I always looked forward to a competition like that because it was what we would call off-continent competition where teams were playing each other from... That, that they don't normally match up against. Yes. And you'd get to see a whole bunch of different styles in one place. And yep. for as an umpire, it was really fun. I'm sure it was really fun for spectators as well. And this is the stuff that I really wish that they weren't going to be losing out of the hockey schedule because I know it's a lot more expensive and it's really hard for the national associations. So the rationale is sound. It just hurts my hockey heart that we're not going to see – as much of this competition because it's going to be an amazing month like June May, May June is going to be amazing oh we're, we will be flooded with hockey in the, in the next few weeks no doubt and uh, I must admit I'm really looking forward to it don't know if my liver can cope with that but um, you know going to have to make do <laughs> are you talking about the drinking game that we're going to play the next time that the US hosts oh yes and in fact uh, yes is it is it just any US game or is it just US Great Britain? Uh, oh, I think it should be any US game because I think the material is there. Okay, well, but we definitely need the US commentating team, so it's got to be at the Spooky Nuke. Well, we will promote when that is going to happen. I think that's definitely on the cards, Keely. And I've got a another marketing idea. I think the next time the US play Great Britain, they should play for the tea strainer. 
uh, a, a nice silver tea strainer mounted on a, a lovely wooden platform <laughs> with some used tea leaves in it would be uh, an appropriate symbol of, uh, of matches between the US and Great Britain. Beautifully elegant, and as long as it's really, really small, just like it, it isn't that the thing about the ashes? It's yes. really, really small. Oh my god, you, thing. you yes. made a cricket reference. Do you realize that? I did. I saw it on Twitter the other day, and I was like, what is that little thing? But yeah, just a tiny little tea strainer, and yeah, it would be adorable. I think that's a great idea. And of course, you, you do realize that the, uh, in the legend of the ashes, it was a group of ladies who got together who organized that. I think I may have learned that from Ashley Morrison. Yes. Why do I think that? Oh, he's right across all that sort of stuff. Right. I think he may have spoken about that on his Not the Footy show at one point. So there you go. Keely Dunn, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on Totally Pro League this week. I always really enjoy talking about our great game of hockey with you. Um, always sensible things come out of your mouth which is not quite the same coming from this end of the microphone but you you make sense of it all well john lee i i definitely try and and it's great to have an opportunity to to reach out and talk and and i love listening to the podcast i've learned so much about the game (laughs) from from not uh listening to what you guys say but what what you won't say (laughs) actually it's it's the guests that you have all that variety it's been fantastic and really you guys have really spurred on i think a a bit of a renaissance with hockey podcasting and so there's a lot of sources for information out there and if you're a fan of the game this really is a great time to be involved excellent thank you keely it's great to have you on the program and um we look forward to getting you back on before the finals as well Cheers, John. Thanks, mate.